0: hey guys welcome to content candy's newest show why are we like this with myself and adam collins please check us out wherever you can find podcasts which i think is like apple spotify anchor what have you and make sure to check out patreon patreon.com backslash video and enjoy the show Hey, guys. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Hey, Hey, how are you?
1: Oh, I'm hanging in there. Hanging in there. Busy day on the YouTubes. Uh, Popped over to Jesse Swift land earlier today and talked about. Oh, you know, just news of the day. Talked about that Godzilla show and the Batman being long and whatnot. It was fun.
0: Batman's going so yeah. to be so long, guys. Yeah. Batman's going to be as long as the Godzilla TV show. Although, I have some oh. thoughts about Godzilla TV. But first, let, let's just say <laughs> where we are and what we are and what we do. I am uh, Drew Grant, Video Drew. This is Adam Collins. This is an all-new episode of Why Are We Like This? The mm-hmm. show where we discuss our formative pop culture experiences and what kind of turned us into the people that we are today, the magnificent, unique individuals that we are today. Um, yes. Today, we're talking about something that's like, a huge one for me. This is a huge one. This is my very first horror I think besides Lady and White, a Lucas Haas movies from the 80s that I was really into as a child. This is my first real horror movie.
1: And when that question came up in the showdown, were you pumped?
0: Was there was there a Lady and White question?
1: Yeah, they asked it um I think they actually asked it in the Horror Free for All and yeah. we all most of us missed it. Um, so you would have gotten it if you were in that round.
0: I think I remember I think I remember when that happened. I was they, like, they, White.
1: They were asking, yeah. I I, th- I think they were asking for Lucas Haas.
0: Uh-huh. Hoik okay. may have
1: known so. it. I Ho- I feel like Hoik may have gotten that one.
0: I feel like I feel like that sounds yeah. right that Hoik would have known it. Yeah. Um uh this one's a big one though. Adam, where where were you when you first saw the first Scream movie?
1: Um, well, I saw Scream. Um the first two I saw in theaters. Um, So uh, the first scream was something that as it started to gain a lot of attention, um, I was, I was young, you know, I was uh, 10 when it came out. So the reason I was able to see it uh, as I was visiting, um, had one of those, uh, one of my friends moved to a town about like an hour and a half away but we kept in touch and I would go visit him and hang out. And we were horror (laughs) buddies. And um, uh, I remember I went to visit him and his mom got us the tickets and like cleared it with the management, got us ushered in, got us settled in. We behaved ourselves and enjoyed the hell out of Scream. So I got to see it in theaters as a 10 year old.
2: As Um, a 10 year old.
1: Yep. Uh, And then the next year when Scream 2 came out, we repeated the same thing and we meant, we meant to do it. Um, for Scream 3, we just weren't able to work it out a few years later. But we did it for the first two movies.
0: I forgot that they came out within a year of each other. Uh, 96
1: and 97, yeah.
0: And then when was Scream 3, was like very close after that.
1: 2000. Too. 2000
0: okay so there's a little bit of a break and then there was like Mm -hmm. a decade break and now there's been like another decade break or like a decade yeah there's been like a decade break between two of them now well it was
1: like it's funny because there's 11 years between sequels for the last two rounds because it was 11 years between scream three and four and 11 years between scream four and scream now scream
0: Scream now uh one of the interesting things about this movie i thought uh besides all of it um is how it tackled the idea of, of uh you know, Scream Four was all about the reboots. Like every yeah. new Scream movie, if you guys haven't seen it, like Adelia in the comments, uh, Scream movies all are like meta horror. They really like nailed it before Cabin in the Woods, before a lot of it. Before a lot of people were doing sort of self-aware horror. Scream was like mm-hmm. the first self-aware horror movie I ever saw, where like people were going like, "Oh, in a horror movie, characters would act like this." So it, it sort of like had the people were talking about the rules, uh, mm-hmm. which is, uh, "I'll be right back." Never say that. Uh, Never have sex, never do drugs. Is that one of them?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, something similar to that. From
0: yeah, it It was like, but this is like how to survive a horror movie, and uh, Mm -hmm. the twist of it of who Ghostface is um, was really interesting. And then every subsequent movie that Kevin Williamson wrote and Wes Craven directed, which is up until Scream Four, sort of took a different approach to that concept of like what Mm -hmm. it was talking about. Scream Two was about what do you do in horror movie sequels. Scream 3 was about trilogies. Scream 4 was about reboots. Mm-hmm. Scream 5 was, or Scream, this new Scream, is, I was like wondering, what are they going to make it about? Like, what could it possibly be? And the answer is requels. Yep. Now, as they describe it in the movie, because I didn't know this was a fad. Like, I didn't know this was a thing, but as soon as they described it, I was like, oh yeah. Because what they're describing for the first time is not something that is specific to horror movies they're talking about the rules of being in a franchise uh specifically in a beloved franchise
1: something that's really come into vogue in the past decade as well so i feel yeah. like this this scream movie uh uh nails that um i think it's a, a a very fair angle to take um and you know scream's very pointed in its commentary and this movie's no exception so i yeah. feel like You know, uh, The Force Awakens really brought it into the mainstream. And then uh, 2018's Halloween is definitely, you know, I think what cemented it for horror as a genre to be a very, very commonplace approach. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we're seeing it more and more often. And, you know, we're seeing other franchises franchises try and imitate it like Terminator did with Dark Fate to, Mm -hmm. you know, middling results.
0: So the specific thing that we're told about recalls is that they are involving because, like, how do you separate it from like the sequels or the reboots? Recalls, as they define it, sorry, I'm like out of breath all the time, so if I'm like taking large breaths and like pausing, that's why. Recalls, in their definition, are movies that um, that use the legacy characters, use the legacy story. But tell it to a completely new audience, I think is how they, I would best describe it. Like they mm-hmm. reboot it, but it's a reboot that is aware of its roots and it's a, a reboot that contains some elements of its roots. Um, so, like, all the, the main characters are the same. Now, this is something you could have said about Screen Four. This is, it's a new cast, but like, you know, with, with Nev Campbell coming in. But I think what's interesting about this movie and why it makes it a requel and why that term is like so necessary for this movie is it's not a movie centering around Sydney. Mm -hmm. This is the first movie where like, she's not really the main character. Um, Instead you have what Jenny Ortega, is that her name? Um, Uh, Melissa Barrera. And Melissa Barrera. Yeah. As the, as the two leads um, as sisters uh, and they live in Woodsboro and they, you know, can we do the spoilers? Is it time to do spoilers? They have, they have an association to the original killers of Scream or like everyone in this movie who exists who is dying they have some tie to somebody who was killed or was a killer and we original. want to do a
1: flash poll in the chat to see roughly how many people have already seen the movie
0: mm, sure sure <laughs> guys I we, just we can not spoil it. We could I don't do I don't enough. want
1: to get I don't want to get you know like the characters from this movie coming after me basically
0: yeah yeah I don't want <laughs> I don't want what this movie addresses a lot. And I think what its smartest thing is to do uh, was to discuss what this movie is actually trying to say. The, the mm-hmm. real criticism this movie had. Dagan um, says he hasn't seen it. Okay. Well, then, you know what? We'll try to keep it as spoiler.
1: I think we should do it. I would love to light. get into spoilers at some point. Um, yeah, but, yeah, like kind of keep it light right now if people haven't seen yes. it yet.
0: So, Jagan, we'll let you like we'll give you a little bumper and let you know when uh, when the spoilers are going to happen. But uh, what did you think about like what this movie was trying to say specifically about fandom and and the kind of people who are into fandom?
1: I think uh, for this and the Matrix Resurrections to come out so close together is uh, really fun timing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I I liked Matrix Resurrections. I didn't like love it, love it, but I I liked it. And I really like the themes behind it. And I think this movie had a lot of similar themes. Um, mm. I think uh, it also would make a great double feature with the last Jedi. Um, yeah. I, I
0: think that's, that's what it really is. This is a movie yeah. that's commenting on the last Jedi.
1: Yeah. Like it, it very, I mean, all the conversation around this movie and within the film itself reminded me a lot of the discourse in the wake of the last Jedi. And I felt like that was such a, even though it's kind of like nauseating at times to hear, you know, some of the vitriol around that film. I, I do like that. It was kind of a watershed moment to kind of like bring some stuff to the surface about what we really need to keep in perspective about our, our own fandom about things.
0: And who, and yeah, really like it's, it's truly a movie that is more less about like horror specifically and more about gatekeeping. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like that's what this movie is really about. It's, who yeah. gets ownership of a franchise? Is it the people who make the movies? Is it the people who the movies are uh, starring or about? Or is it, like, the people who feel the most intensely about films? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of, like, um, current, like, we understand the idea of toxic fandom. Like, the, <laughs> there's a great line in this movie. Uh, I, I hope this is not spoil anything to say. How can fandom be toxic? Uh, which is right. like, a hilarious thing to say. Like, as coming from, like, the most, like, craziest person in the movie how can fandom be toxic well this movie takes that idea and sort of amps it up to like 11 because i've always thought the interesting thing about scream was it always to me seemed like it was diminishing returns uh, a little bit because it felt like you know Wes craven it kind of felt like a matrix resurrections in the sense Uh that Wes crazen uh after nightmare on elm street didn't want other people to direct this movie
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know he didn't want to have an issue of like what happened with um Bob, what's his name? Bob Shea, you know, mm-hmm. where other people took over Nightmare after he left, turned it into this other thing, turned Freddy into something that he like hadn't imagined for him. So he kind of felt, I feel like, and I, you know, I might be wrong with this, but I kind of felt like Wes Craven, maybe not Kevin Williamson who did write the movies, but Wes Craven, you know, kind of felt obligated to make these films and had less and less to say with each subsequent movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just became kind of like this, I to use the term bitter, but like a little bit bitter. It just was like this sort of like, you know, what it was commenting on was like how trash sequels and trilogies and reboots are. Like they that was like all kind of what it what it had to say was like aren't these things dumb almost in a way.
1: Well, and that's I, the impression I got from Scream 4 especially is um I think I think it's a solid uh, uh, installment in the franchise. I I don't dislike Scream 4 specifically. Um, but you know, it, it's, you know, it only reaches certain heights with me. Um, but that feels like Wes, like was like, okay, so this is what we're going to do for this one. I'm, I'm, I'm on board, but I didn't feel the level of buy-in that I did even through the third film. Um, which is why I think this take, uh, with this new film, um, I think what's great about it is. I think Scream is a franchise that naturally should evolve in the hands of people who love the franchise. And you feel that with these writers Um, and you you, you feel the reverence, but also the playfulness and the engagement with it. Um, They they keep it. They do have it on a pedestal, but they're they're willing to get their hands dirty. And I really like that about this movie.
0: I want to address something that Dagan's saying in the comments. It's so confusing now that there are two movies named Scream, same with Halloween. Like, real original guys, LOL. Well, there's, there's three
1: Halloweens, for- actually.
0: Yes, there are three Halloweens, the Rob Zombie one. <laughs>
1: yeah. There's
0: a reason for this. And uh, the writer of Scream, this new Scream movie, pointed it out to me when we had drinks um, uh, last month, which is that for people on TikTok, for people that are going to make this movie number one in the box office, which it currently is, these are not the people that grew up with scream just like they were not the people that grew up with halloween Mm
2: -hmm. you have
0: to imagine that you're talking to an entirely new audience that's why the trailer for this movie didn't seem that funny i think uh, when the movie is itself as funny as scream ever was if not funnier Mm -hmm. um it's because it needed to explain something to you which is like what the concept is i think the poster did it perfectly the poster said it's always someone you know and that's basically what you need to know about the scream movie it's never been the same mm-hmm. killer. Ghostface is not one guy. He's not Michael. He's not Freddie. He's not Jason. He was the person playing the Ghostface guy, uh, Billy Loomis and uh Stu. I want to say like M something. Menschel? That seems way too Jewish. Something else. <laughs> Stu something. Uh something with the letter M, I think. Uh, they were the original Ghostface killers. So there Stu was always- yeah, Stu Mocker. Stu Mocker. That's very close. Uh Stu, uh, they were like two killers who wore one outfit. They both died in the first one. Every mm-hmm. subsequent movie has brought in another pair of killers, except for Scream 3, uh, which had just had Roman, uh, her, Sydney's half-brother, as the killer. Um, Stu Marker. Marker? So the idea that this movie is named Scream is because getting kids to go see a movie called Scream 5 involves a lot of buy-in. That involves mm-hmm. the kids knowing enough about it and wanting to see the first four screen movies. Mm-hmm. like actually a lot of investment to ask kids to have. Like it's a lot. It's like it's a lot to say, hey, you've never heard of this movie, but here watch these other four so you can catch up. They basically need to do something, which is like reset it, like do a recall. reset it so people that like are of a younger generation can get it immediately without feeling like they have to go back and watch a generations worth of content.
1: I think with this one, especially, um, I think given the trend of these movies, just being named the same thing again, but being in the same continuity, which can be confusing. I think scream of all franchises earned that this time around. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is the one time they've earned that. I think, you know, next time, you know, like it doesn't necessarily have to be scream six, but let's, you know, let's move past just this title. Um, because Halloween, uh, even though I like that 2018 movie and I appreciate why it's just entitled Halloween, I still ultimately think that one could have been entitled something else, um, not with a number behind it, but just because you had the Rob Zombie movie mm-hmm. and this movie, like 2018's Halloween, it's funny because it's the third title called it's the third movie entitled Halloween, and it's also the third Halloween two.
0: Yes, it is the third Halloween, too, because of the Rob Zombie one. And I feel like, isn't there like one character that's going to be coming back who's going to be in all three or something? Uh, Isn't it uh, Danielle?
1: Oh, Danielle Harris? Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe. But the thing with this is, um, I think it works for all the reasons you said about trying to be more inclusive with newcomers who might just stumble into this and then it whets their appetite so they revisit the old films but they don't necessarily have to have seen them all or revisited them all going into this, which I think is good, makes it more accessible. Um, But it still is Scream 5 unequivocally. It is Scream 5 and Mm -hmm. it does have the legacy characters and it does acknowledge the events of a lot of the films. And um, I also think it's possible to just kind of like watch the original Scream and then jump to this and then catch up with the two, three, and four in between later. Um, I think a yeah. non linear appro- non-linear approach to this franchise is perfectly acceptable and kind of, um, I, I, I I can imagine a lot of people have approached the franchise in that way just accidentally.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say that if there's one thing that I would have liked to do when I was a kid, when I saw this movie, I was, ugh, I'm like going to talk a lot. So I'm like trying to grab my breath here. I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, <laughs> ugh, so when I was about, this movie came out in 96. So I guess I was like 12 when this movie came out. I remember seeing it on Halloween. So it was already out in, so maybe I was 13. So it was already out on home video. My friend's parents had a video store. And I watched this movie with the entirety of my hands behind my eyes. Like I couldn't watch this movie dead on. There was a time in my life where little video Drew could not watch horror movies. (laughs) Which is like very funny to me now. Um, And I remember watching this. And thinking, this might be the first time where I feel, besides Star Wars, so it's funny that this movie comes back to the idea of Star Wars. Besides Star Wars, this was the first movie that really captured my imagination in a way that felt like world building. Like it felt like I could just easily slip into this world or the characters could slip out because of the level of self-awareness and because it's the way that I thought. Like, you know, always thinking if my life was a movie, this would be how it went. This is like the tropes that I realized. Like it was very like trope aware. And I, though I didn't know the word trope, I like understood fundamentally the concept. The characters in this movie were watching a movie or could watch movies like Halloween and stuff and be like, Oh, don't go upstairs or don't do this. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'd ever seen that in a movie before. And especially for somebody who had never um, watched a certain genre being given these rules straight away felt not only like super helpful, like in terms of guideposts for what other horror movies might be like, but it felt like they were talking directly to you as an audience. Like it felt like, I mean, that's the point. It felt incredibly like this movie was made for someone like me who was like could pick up on like the fact that these characters almost knew that they were characters in a movie. Um, and something about that's always really, really resonated with me that this goes into like the movies within the movies too. Like I would love another screen movie that's just stab,
2: mm-hmm. like
0: this whole stop. I want to just see it. The more they talk about the stab movies in this franchise, stab of course, being the fictional series that they made up uh, based on, or like the semi-fictional series that they made up based on um, uh, Sydney's life, and starting with I believe stab four, they are they're all sort of fictionalized uh, because. They had no, no material and because so they yeah. didn't yeah. threatened to sue.
1: Right, so. right. It starts just becoming insanity. And, and that, I like that because that's kind of, a, I don't know if that's a, meant to be a direct reference, but it's always made me think of the Amityville series because that really goes off the rails quickly and just becomes this amorphous thing that doesn't even, it's not even recognizable by the time you get to the 7th Amityville.
0: I think in Scream 4, they mentioned by the time you get to Scream 6 or Scream 5 or Scream 6. Stab 6. Stab 6. So sorry. Stab yeah. 6. Time travels involved.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Amazing. So that like already like by Scream 4, I was like, I want to know what happens in Stab 6, especially because the opening of Scream 4 is them showing you bits of a movie that you don't realize you're watching a Stab movie. But there are the intros to Stab movies being watched by somebody in the mm-hmm. new Scream movie. And then, oh that
1: that's one of the best parts of the fourth.
0: Yeah. And then because this movie this whole franchise is very self-aware, somebody like within that movie within a movie goes, "Wait, if we're watching that movie and that movie started with a fake out cold open called Stab 5, but that was actually just the beginning to Stab 6, what was Stab 5?" <laughs> and it's like, "Yo, that's perfect. That's perfect because that's the kind of Negling little question that i would have which is how can they be watching a fake out of the previous movie was the previous movie just a fake out was it a five minute fake out film
1: at a certain point you start question you stop questioning the logic like i i feel like there's a natural inclination to apply this uh inception kind of filter to the the you know the inner workings of stab and and how it refers back to scream as a franchise but um what I love in this new one, um, uh, just just to tease one of the details, is the take they have on stab eight specifically and how ridiculous it is. Oh, and that's we, why
0: I, I think we can say it because it's a very good reveal. Can we say it, Dagan? Are you gonna be mad? It's not like a reveal as in who did it. It's just like a very funny aside.
1: It's yeah, it's more of a joke, yeah.
0: Uh what type of wine is Adam drinking? Well, while Degan tells us whether we can spoil this or not, uh Mike's asking what kind of wine.
1: So I am chipping away at uh, nothing—not uh, a fancy Pinot Noir, but a Pinot Noir that I got uh, at the beginning of the week for the Sideways quiz, and um, I've still got some left. Go back and watch it. That was one of the best quizzes ever, by the way.
0: Yeah, dude, I killed.
1: You were you. You are uh, definitely like a.
0: I'm a secret uh, Sideways fan.
1: A sneaky Sideways fan. Yeah,
0: it's just like weird how much of that movie I was able to memorize just after like a second rewatch, the first one, like since the movie came out. But anyway, they say in Stab Eight, and apparently or in they say in the news screen that in Stab Eight, uh, it is directed by the guy who made Knives Out.
1: That's and
0: yeah. apparently they were supposed to, they were trying to get Ryan Johnson to cameo uh, in this film, which would have been amazing. Like if we could have seen that would you know, have been
1: impressive. Yeah,
0: in Stab. For the first stab movie, which we see in Scream Two, we see interviews with them. Or Robert Rodriguez is the director, right? Lon did this. Yeah, Rodriguez
1: directed the first stab in the in the movie universe.
0: Yeah, I think for fandom, Lon did this whole article about like what the timeline for the stab movies are, which include like a very funny meta joke about like Parker Posey's character in Scream Three, who dies, Mm -hmm. but she was the actress who appears in the stab three movie. So when stab three resumed filming with a different cast and crew, but she was dead. She was replaced by celebrity lookalike Parker Posey.
1: Well, I've always, I know like everyone says like with every sequel, this one's more meta than the first, but the reason I have a soft spot for scream three is, uh, because Wes, you know, went so hard on the, uh, uh, the self-reflective angle with the industry. And, and I, I love the use of the set within the set. Um, That's when the franchise really starts engaging with, with the, uh, the stab franchise in the film narrative. And even though I find Roman as a character, incredibly contrived, Mm -hmm. I really like the physicality of his ghost face and the intimidation factor with that ghost face. That is the only ghost face who punched people in the face. Uh, which I found awesome, and like
0: notoriously a notorious little bitch.
1: Yeah, yeah, and like, and of in the third one, bitch. he was decking people. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. he was very efficient, and I like that there weren't two killers in that one. Mm-hmm. That was cool.
0: Now it's the same. The difference with yeah. Scream that I liked a lot was it was willing to, probably because he thought it was going to be the last one.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Excuse me. He was willing to do something as weird as like, yeah, there's only one killer. It's just breaks all the formulas, which by that point, it's only two movies. But like when you go back to the formula and scream forward, almost was like, oh, come on. Like we were starting to break. We we're starting to cross the Rubicon. Like if we started to have movies where the killer was using stuff like gas, like he was becoming a little bit more jigsaw. Like
2: mm-hmm.
0: he was he could blow up a house instead of just like just stabbing you like that was cool. I thought that was like the next level. You can't kind of go back to stabbing.
1: I would love to see like a um, just a really specific take uh, in the next one. Um, And this is not to spoil anything in the new one, but just like something that really goes in a different direction. Like whether it's a cult of ghost faces or, um, you know, like I've always personally kind of build off what I liked about scream three. I've always wanted uh, there to be a ghost face who is, you know, not like a, like a soulless Jason Voorhees type at all. But like, I want to be really, really scared of who's behind the mask one of these times. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I want that to be an unsettling reveal at some point. Um, And I don't, I don't think any of the reveals in the previous movies are bad, but that's just something I, as a fan have always kind of wanted. I might be in the minority, but I, I've always really liked the Scream movies, but as a fan of horror overall, I don't think Scream needs to necessarily try and be like as unnerving as like. Um, I-, I feel like David Gordon Green's Halloween really ratcheted up the tension in really interesting ways, and I don't think Scream necessarily needs to take itself even that seriously. But I do want Ghostface at some point if he comes back, he or she or they. I want that character. To be really, really physically intimidating. Because we got glimpses of that in this movie without getting into specifics of the character reveals. The kills themselves were pretty, pretty intense in this one.
0: There is a, there, they did, I think Dagan left, so we can go into spoilers now. Uh, I, I'm going to say we can go into spoilers.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: uh, if you haven't seen the movie already and you don't want to be spoiled, I think now is the time to, to exit. Um, Maxwell saying I always wanted to scream this all a new nightmare the OG actors play themselves and they start getting killed that's the ultimate meta twist for the series and I that mean, way that they, what,
1: they can bring everyone back that way too yeah.
0: I mean that's what I'm saying that's what I want there to be a stab movie I want there to be a movie in which the stab movies do like a new nightmare thing except like maybe it's mm-hmm. revealed like the 8th the stab movie is just the other scream movies combined and it's like that's like you know Sydney and like is actually Neve Campbell and it, it is this kind of like because if we're getting into time travel by stab 4 and stab 8 has Ryan Johnson attached the sky's the limit
1: with Rambo ghost face
0: yeah with Rambo ghost face <laughs> I would like you know what I was thinking what three killers that'd be cool
1: more two than two, working... yeah, yeah,
0: two of them working together, and then one of them working independently, and like they have no idea, so that way you can sort of like go into this thing that always becomes sort of a logic problem in Scream, which is if you see characters by themselves and they're acting scared, then they can't be the killer, you yeah. know, because of how could they be? They don't know anyone else is watching them. It's kind of the problem with Scream 3, which is like Roman gets like freaked out,
1: yeah. How have we not seen two ghost faces fight each other yet? That's a very, very good point.
0: Yeah, ghost faces in opposition. So, like, that way you can yeah. have moments where, like, you can get totally faked out because the characters are by themselves hunting ghost face and acting really scared because they're like, what the fuck? I'm ghost face.
1: Mm-hmm. I would, I would love that. Um, I, yeah, no, I, I think, um, what this film set a precedent for that's really exciting is first of all, we needed to prove that we could make one of these uh, in the spirit of the original films um, and, and make sure it's accepted by a wide audience and the hardcore fans because, you know, Wes Craven's not around anymore and this film succeeded on that level really well. So I think, I think now for the franchise to continue forward, I think it has license to really get funky
0: Now, one Uh, thing of these ideas, one thing that this movie had, at least conceptually, if not actually, because they've now spoken out against it, is the idea of like, why did none of the screen movies actually have any ghosts? Why did no screen movies actually involve the supernatural? Wouldn't that be like a logical thing, place to take it like a slasher movie? Like they did it with uh, Jason. They did it with Michael. So like, let's do it with uh, let's do it. Ghostface. Let's have, like, a supernatural element. And this movie kind of did that. Um, I think it's more of a psychological reveal than Mm -hmm. about... uh, So, again, if you guys haven't seen it, now would be the time to turn this off. I'm going to give you five, four, three, two, one, and okay.
1: We're trying, people.
0: We're trying. I'm trying to breathe here, people. uh Billy Loomis comes back in this movie. A very, like, cgi heavied Skeet Ulrich returns um, as a ghost or as a uh, memory. I think it's more of a, a projection of one of the it's, characters. It's,
1: it's kind of like Griffin Dunn in American Werewolf in London, a little bit. Except he's not, like, rotting, but yeah.
0: I don't think he's supposed to be supernatural, though.
1: No, no, I, I just mean I just mean the uh, interactions, the scenes kind of reminded me of that. It's not yeah. literal. It's not literal. It's a hallucination, but yeah. So
0: it turns out our yeah our main character is the daughter, the secret daughter of Billy Loomis, who I guess had a lot of time to get around. So he was like cheating on Sydney, and uh, this 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 other girl they went to high school with had the baby and. And then she, she got married to somebody else who thought it was who he thought. Admittedly, this bother. is a conceit
1: of the film that you either have to just, you know, swallow or not swallow. And for me, it was a bit of a stretch, but um, it was no better or worse than Egon having a secret kid in Ghostbusters Afterlife. So,
0: oh, I kind of like, I kind of love this thing. Yeah. Because it kind of switches on its head. Like, Cindy has been a great hero for this franchise, she's badass. Mm-hmm. She's strong, which what she not is which she's not, although she has done it in self-defense. She's not a killer. Yeah. She's not crazy. Now I think they could have gone heavier on this. Like how this like chick, the main character here, uh, could have snapped. Because mm-hmm. that's the one thing. Everyone's always like, well, you can't have Sydney be the killer because like everyone keeps thinking that's gonna be the thing that jumps the shark. Is like Sydney's going to turn out to be the killer in this screen movie. Not the case, but I think we got introduced to the possibility of someone becoming the scream killer and star down the line with this main character. Uh, she doesn't do it in this movie, but I feel like that's what they're kind of setting up. That that's the last line she says uh, to her boyfriend, who is one of the killers, played by Jack Wade. She's like, "Yeah, you should have remembered the first rule, or like the last rule, not to like fuck with a crazy girl's, or crazy guy's daughter, or something like that." I forget the exact phrase.
1: Yeah, the, uh, uh, the daughter of a serial killer.
0: Yeah. perfect. Perfect. Like way to go with that idea because like yeah, because it doesn't really matter at the end of the day who the killers are. like the killers because their motivations are always just going to be. Yeah. I feel like this has had an interesting take on the franchise element of it, but like at the end of the day, the killers are always going to be people that were fans of the previous movie. Mm-hmm. People that feel that, like they have some ownership to the story whether it's Roman being related to Sydney and feeling like he literally has ownership of, of Maureen's tale, or if it's, um, you know, Timothy Oliphant in number two, or Sydney's cousin in number four. These are all people who feel like they have some claim. And even in the first two screen, or first screen movie, like what were Billy and Stu's like motivation, quote unquote, besides Maureen, is that they like wanted to make, they wanted to make a, killing spree looked like a movie. Mm-hmm. They wanted to base it on the movies. This one is no different, but I feel like what this gives it is like a pushback to the idea that the scariest people in scream need to be the killers.
1: Also just something uh, that I've been thinking about a lot, especially with the way the killers have been revealed in the last several films and the original too. the original, you know, is the one I think of the most with this, but um, Alfred Hitchcock's rope, um that I, I see a lot of parallels, especially between the first scream and rope. Uh, you know, because that one's very specifically about um, you know, two men who decide to commit murder just to see if they can get away with it. Um, and the difference with that is, you know, the the men end up at odds, um, but there's an implied romantic relationship between those characters, less so between Billy and Stu, but you know, there's something there. Uh, in my opinion,
0: Nick, you hit me in the phone with a you hit me in the face with a phone, Dick.
1: <laughs> but um, they ultimately are trying to concoct this scheme to see if they can get away with it and pawn it off on somebody else. And um, I do appreciate the consistency, you know, in the sequels. You see that come back in different ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, they always have this speak- thing. Sorry, I'm looking for something real quickly. Uh, they always seem to have this thing and scream about. Let's see. I don't think I have it. Um, I want to bring this out again because I know not everyone's heard all of my diary entries already. So relevant. <laughs> uh They always have a thing in scream about like the idea that they're going to somehow blame it on Sydney, right. right? Like that's the idea. They're they're going to blame it on Sydney. And this one, a little different. They're going to blame Sydney's death on this new girl. Um, and they always have this idea of like, well, we'll be the only ones alive, so we'll be able to tell the story mm-hmm. at a certain point. If there's a ghost face killing in your neighborhood and someone who survives besides Sydney, don't trust them. That's every single killer's like plan. Every single one thinks that they're going to get away with it because they're going to kill Sydney and then be able to tell the story. Mm-hmm. I would be super sus of anyone trying to say that they survived Sydney.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I would as well. Um, so, what do you think about this speculation or I guess confirmation now? Um that uh the off-screen husband is indeed uh uh Mark Kincaid. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Okay. Now. Um,
0: now
1: are they working on maybe getting Dempsey uh, lined up? I for, mean, I would uh, love
0: that. Do you know how sad I was that like Billy came back but not Stu? I kept thinking like the big reveal is gonna have to be Matthew Willard was there somewhere. Like it had to be. Like it was kind of weird. Like we have to admit this. Like it's kind of weird that one of the biggest actors or most recognizable names—at least, not names, maybe—but most recognizable character actors in this franchise or in this uh, installment might be Kyle Gallner. Gallner. Kyle Gallner. Uh, You might know him as Bead from Veronica Mars, Uh, Haunting of Connecticut. He's just like a character actor who's been in a ton of stuff, and he gets like, are you looking up?
1: Oh, yeah. No, I just was... Ref- I, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah,
0: He gets, like, two seconds of screen time, and then he's Gonzo. Uh, he's someone who, I guess, was related to Stu? Seems like more of a Billy person, but... Uh, yeah, I just thought that was, like, kind of a funny... Not a cop-out, exactly, but... Because it kind of told me from the trailers that he was gonna die. Which is sort of, like, what they did with that character. I was like, he's the biggest actor you have in there, uh, besides, you know, uh, the, the original core trio.
2: Hmm.
0: You know, also, like, respect to this movie for, like, finally doing it. They've been telling us they're gonna kill off people since Scream 2, but without Jamie Kennedy, like, but with putting Jamie Kennedy aside, they haven't killed off any main original cast members. Uh, or Cotton, I guess, in 3. But he wasn't, like, an original cast member. He was, like, a cast member who was, like, seen on TV. And, then and no one was and-
1: sad to see him go. No. <laughs> no he- one was sad to see Cotton go. Cotton was a dick. And, um, Randy, uh, I think dispatching him was fair game. I just think we should have waited till the third movie. That would have been
0: hard agreed. Uh, yeah. I did love like that they brought back Heather Mazzario. Uh, although to see Heather Mazzario look sort of like a mom and look like kind of middle aged and stuff, I was like, oh no, because she's like my age. Like, no, no. No. Not I, but Christina Ricci in Yellow Jackets is like another one that's kind of like that, except that she looks so good in the Yellow Jackets. Like everything she's doing is so A. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm that age. Christina
1: Ricci's always kind of looked like a. Uh, porcelain doll, though, like, like yeah, I've heard
0: that coming. Um, she's so great in Yellow Jackets, so and we can talk yeah. about Yellow Jackets a little bit at the end there because I know I've made yeah. you watch it. Um, but I do want to, I, what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts yeah. on like who the killers were, how it was revealed, um, and this new, this introduction of this new protagonist potentially?
1: Yeah, I think, um, uh, what I like about the setup of this is that it does, um, I like that. We weren't stuck with another Emma Roberts situation. Um, You know? uh, uh, So um, I think, I think there's room to build on the canvas here and kind of add some more depth to that character. Um, I think it was, I I think it was, I had no issues with her performance. I like the character arc overall, but because it was a lot of new information to just fully accept, I agree with you. I think it's a fun angle. But for mm-hmm. me, because it's such a big chunk of information to introduce and kind of retcon into the story, uh, that was that was a little bit of a leap for me to take with the film. Ultimately, I'm okay with it, but it was just a it was a big pill for me to swallow at first.
0: Really, I find that really interesting because I didn't find it uh, yeah. an issue. In fact, I really liked it. Um, I I guess I don't think of screen movies as particularly to be uh, like Kaiser State puzzle box, even like the Saw movies where they feel like they need to give you flashbacks. At the end to be like, oh, see, it was this character all along. Like they could have gone that route and been like, she actually did it. Um, they definitely want you to think that at certain points, maybe, but like the thing was the- yeah.
1: All I'm saying is I was ultimately on board with it by the end of the movie. I'm just saying at first I was like, Oh, okay. But then as the film went along, it felt more and more earned. And by the end of it, I was on board. Um, I mean, I'm just saying that was kind of how I ended up driving with it.
0: I mean, hard agree especially near the end where like Eric said mm-hmm. this as the movie was ending after the big confrontation we see Billy in the mirror like kind of nodding towards the knife or whatever or was it was a gun or a knife that fallen underneath the, the curtain um, mm-hmm. and Eric goes oh my god at the end if, if Billy gives a thumbs up like if a ghost dad gives like a thumbs up and like a you did it like, if this turns into a positive influence character, he's like, I don't even know. And then at the end, like, what do you see? But like that, like, she's looking into like a mirror of something and like you see Billy and he's like, this doesn't quite do the thumbs up, but he definitely gives the nod of approval. And it's like, is that what we're supposed to be taking for this? Is he the good guy now? But no, I really like what that was trying to say, which is like, first of all, you are not your parents' mistakes, which has been a, a scream trope. Since mm-hmm. the beginning scream, which is like you are not your parents, like you yeah. are not mistakes, you're not the cumulative mistakes your parents made. Um, and so for her to see um her dad as a projection of her her guilt, her subconscious, her guilt in breaking up her parents' marriages over this, I loved it. Um, Erica had also also pointed out that, like, why doesn't their mom come home? And it's like, well, that's another trope of the scream movies, like the parents kind of always have to be. Absent, like in the first movie, Sydney's mom is dead, and her dad is uh, missing. Mm-hmm. And I think we only see him again in Scream Three. Like
1: yeah, well we that. we saw. Um, I uh, you know we don't really know um, who the father of Wes's uh, Judy's kid, Wes's Dylan Minnette, either. Like that was
0: oh yeah, because that be David Arquette?
1: doesn't seem like it. He didn't seem very broken up about the situation. <laughs> I, I don't honestly, know, that,
0: I'm not but, sure if he would know. Would he that, have known?
1: I mean, either way, he didn't seem that hung up on that. I was a little like surprised by uh, his lack of reaction to how that I, cause I thought I found that, that double homicide. Sorry. I found Sorry. that really upsetting in a very effective way. I didn't find it cheap. I, I love the way the suspense was built up for that. Um, I, it, it was... That was, I think, one of the more unnerving parts of the movie. Um, oh, it
0: was, you're right. I didn't actually think about this, but this that was horrible uh, in the best way possible because it, what it does is it flips Scream, which is a teen movie about teens doing teen stuff and usually like in a home alone kind of situation with like a dead parent kind of looming and it flips it on its head. So for, for this movie, maybe it speaks to like the older like the kids who grew up on this movie now having kids. Mm-hmm. So it speaks to that a little bit, but like, it's terrifying to watch this woman who we know from the previous movies be scared of, for her kid's life. Like the, the ghost face is using her kid as bait.
1: And I personally was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit endeared to that character uh, because of the, you know, uh, the setup in the, in the fourth film and, you know, the, the lemon squares, that tastes like ass and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt like uh the way she was brought into the film was well done. I was just a little surprised by the uh cavalier attitude of of Dewey in the aftermath.
0: I think Dewey uh it speaks to like how broken his character has become. I really mm-hmm. love it. this is maybe my favorite element of the movie is what they were willing to do with the characters. Sydney's always kind he, of like cipher. He gave a cipher.
1: great performance in this I
0: thought. He gave a great performance. Sidney's always kind of a cipher. Gail is kind of like I'll be honest, like a little one-dimensional. Her her journey as a hero is always exactly the same. It's like mm-hmm. I start off callous and like only caring about the scoop until I like care about like until by the end of, we're all super bonded and then by the end end of the by the beginning of the next one, uh, I don't care again. And so like, how want... many cycles of this can we go through where she's going to write a book about something she promises and not to write a book about?
1: I want I want Gail to, like, in the next one, I, I I just want her to just have a podcast.
0: Yeah, we haven't gotten to the podcast stuff yet, which is uh, interesting. Maybe, like, the fourth one, the, those kids had, like, a blog, or, like, a vlog, rather. But, yeah, it's mm-hmm. funny that like, her trajectory actually totally makes sense for her, that she's, like, on... She's essentially Kate Blanchett from uh, Don't Look Up. She's, like, on a morning news, like, a syndicated morning news show. Hmm. So, like, She's like Kathy Lee or Hoda.
1: Yeah, more or less, especially by this film.
0: Now, this is like the biggest difference we can sort of see between the relationship between Gail and Dewey. Mm hmm. Because they've always been, since the first movie, they're like the golden couple. Sydney doesn't right. really get that. Gail and Dewey are.
2: That right. It.
0: But um, this movie sort of, Brings us past that, and it's like, you no, know, like they're done. Like what she says to him, which was honestly the signaling to me, the final nail in the coffin. Really, was when she said, "You belong in Woodsboro. Like you are going to like die here." Did she say die here? Because or something that signals it to it, like you're never going to leave. Is I think what she said. Some telegraphing, so, yeah. I think the exact line is, "You're never going to leave Woodsboro,"
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's like, yeah, we've tried this enough. We've tried trying moving him to L.A. like his character needs to begin and end in Woodsboro. He is the—he sh- was the sheriff. He was a cop. He started as you know the deputy. His sister died there. Like he can't leave, really. And I—I I, I really love that beat. And that's also the moment where I was like, oh, they're gonna kill him off. And it's—it's it's smart because now Gil can progress as a character. I feel like
1: I would hope so. Um, yeah, I—I I, I think of the three. Uh, Big returning characters. Uh, I know Judy's a returning character as well, but um, I do think um, uh, Dewey was the most interesting this time around. Um, And yeah, he's
0: that you can tell it's not being written by the same people, or like that they've done something to the character. Sydney is a cipher, like I said, like she's just kind of like the she's the Jamie Lee Curtis. She's the survivor. Gail Mm -hmm. is like the vapid. Like narcissist, kind of leaving me to be the heart of the movie,
1: right? Um, and I, I just, I liked, I liked his attitude in this film. Um, I liked his determination, his bluntness, um, and you know, ultimately, uh, the direction that the movie took with him. Um, I felt, I felt that was earned too, um, yeah. and I needed. I needed a certain level of, you know, um, stakes being raised in this in this movie.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing also is, Dewey's always been the the heart of the film. I would say, mm-hmm. like, he's always been like the like the goofy, good natured, silly kind of guy who just every movie gets shot, every movie survives, mm-hmm. no matter how much he looks like he's been murdered, like shot in the chest, bleeding out.
1: The first vetted. two movies, especially back to back, like. Mm-hmm. Like that I the the amount of nerve damage he had to sustain,
0: so in this movie, they really showed you his death. He wasn't mm-hmm. just messing around. like they weren't like gonna do a thing where he got stabbed and like maybe he survived, but it looked like he died. They did what they finally promised to do, which is gut somebody like a fish. They gutted him like a fucking fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that must have been I'm trying to because I now I play the game of like, well, who did what murder? That must have been the girl because Jack Wade was with them.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um
0: that that's just, yeah, that's a little bit of a slip part, kind of like in Scream Farm where I'm like, how strong are these like teenage girls?
1: I know. Uh I mean she was pretty capable there at the end. And uh yeah, the parallels between this and
0: uh that's not time in Hollywood?
1: Yeah. It's pretty funny. Like yeah, that, they I mean that once, like, that was that was not an accident.
0: No, no, of course not. No, no. Um, but I did think it was funny. Yeah. So one of the girls is quite literally a Manson type girl, where mm-hmm. it's like her thing is that she's just crazy eyed and like wants to kind of like Misty in, uh, not unlike Misty in Yellow Jackets. She just really wants to belong to a group. That's like her little uh, excuse that she uses at the end, too. She's like, I don't even really care about this. Like, I just want to belong. Right. Like. And that's kind of like Stu's cop out, which is like, I'm just going to like, what's he say? He's like, peer pressure.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's like, what's your excuse, Stu? And he's like, I'm really, I'm really, what is it? What's the line, Eric? It's like, I'm really susceptible to peer pressure or something like that. Anyway, perfect uh, perfect line for Stu. I've always been waiting for them to get a villain who's as charismatic as Stu is. Mm-hmm. I mean, Matthew Lillard just, Matthew Lillard sucked me into this movie so hard. When I was a kid, like Matthew Lillard just seemed like like a hyper real character.
1: Well, he's like a, a living cartoon, which is why I think he got cast as Shaggy later on, because he's just so stretchy and extreme and angular the way he moves. And it's just he walks and moves around like a cartoon. And like in that first scream, I just for some reason, something that always stands out to me at the end is like, that that sweater he's wearing is so baggy. It's so yeah. baggy. Yeah. And this he gets stabbed so much and the thing's getting all bloody and and I just keep getting hung up on how drapey his clothing is.
0: It, that was like a big thing in the 90s. Oh yeah. Well, I do want to read what again? I know I've read this already this entry on why are we like this, but I feel like it's bears <laughs> repetition. Of course. This is from my notebook in Let's see. Does it give a date? I think this must be two, like 2006, 2007. Let's see if it gives a date. Um, probably not, because I was like, "Who the fuck's reading this?" Um, but I've been talking about Star Wars this entire book in my diary, hmm. so I'm about 13 years old. Yeah, I don't. I don't give a date because I'm like, I. I think everyone's reading it, but I don't feel like cluing them in about like what. I guess I. I think everyone's reading it in real time. My diary so I don't ever feel like notor- noting when it was made. This yeah. was made sometime between the ages of 13 and 14. So let's see if I can do this.
1: You, you got this.
0: I do. Sorry, I'm just trying to breathe. Uh, <laughs> my bat was really cool. School's out. Got it. A, in orchestra. B, in math. C, in B, in French. Lucky me. Did I forget to mention I broke my leg? all down on a ski speaking of slashing i have a new favorite movie scream it's so awesome it's about (laughs) this girl who has to face a serial killer who tortures his victims on the phone and who wears a (laughs) halloween mask the girl's mother has died the year before in a horrible murder the suspects for the serial killers are so i love how like the mom stuff was like key i was like that's that's where this starts Mm -hmm. The suspects are, it's really knives out of me, I just list the suspects, Billy, her estranged boyfriend, great use of a strange young Drew, uh, who has the emotional capacity of a rock, where did I get that from? Uh, Tatum, spelled wrong, uh, her best friend, who's a real fighter, not even true, Stu, Tatum's crazy boyfriend, who's really cool, period, next note. (laughs) Randy, Stu's best friend, who's in love with horror movies and has a big nose. Whoa. I keep forgetting that's what this says. (laughs) I thought I was going to say big crush on Sydney. No, it says big nose, period. End of sentence.
2: Poor Jamie Kennedy.
0: Yeah. But not really. I really have no no love for Jamie Kennedy. No. The principal, no motive, just seems to hate troublemakers, played by the fawns. That's in quotes. And her father who has been distanced since his wife died, Dewey, Tatum's dorky brother, who is a police officer, and Gail Weathers, a really cold cold news reporter played by friends, Courtney Cox. The girl is named Sydney, thought I probably should have gotten to that earlier in this review, and is played by Nev Campbell. Great. So that's a great summary of all the characters in this movie. Not all of whom are even suspects. But uh, as we were watching the first movie recently, I did realize that, like, and Eric pointed this out, that they do a really good job convincing you it could be each of the characters like uh dewey has like a thing they have a thing where like the principal puts his hands on sydney in an odd way when they tell her like there's been a a, a, when she which she has the uh thing in the bathroom when by the uh, way mm -hmm.
1: drew i just have to say i've always uh um henry winkler's principal has always made me think of the uh principal from twin peaks
0: God, he's like barely in it though, right? The principal in Twin Peaks? What I'm trying to think of who the that principal
1: hit. in Twin Peaks gives that very dramatic announcement um about yeah. Laura Palmer passing away.
2: Yeah, and
1: he's crying and, and like and then like turns the speak turns the mic off and then to himself is like, oh dear God. You know, and yeah. it just has that extra moment to himself. And I um I don't know how intentional that was from Kevin Williamson, but I, I just I've always seen a little bit of a, a parallel there with Henry Winkler being very uh, emotional about. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. The I mean, like student body. I think you're supposed to think that Henry Winkler is the killer uh, for a lot of this movie until he dies really. Cause mm-hmm. he seems overly invested. Like, like even the, and I didn't notice this, notice this until we watched it recently. Hey, Hey Joey. Um, the, the cop clocks it when he goes to interview Sydney he clocks that the principal like puts his hands on Sydney's shoulder like almost mm-hmm. a circle, like a little massage and he's like talking about how like vehemently he hates these troublemakers and it kind of seems like and that would have been a cool reveal Henry Winkler did it <laughs> if Henry Winkler had been the killer of screen movies I would have been I think that would have worked I think that one time yeah. it should be the principal like it should be a principal it should be an older person because all that's the other thing besides the fact of um The mom in number two, which was like a last minute decision. So much of two was a last minute decision. They didn't know who's going to be the killers in two. Like the Mm -hmm. fact that they picked Oliphant and that and have that uh, Lori Metcalf turn out to be the killer as Sue's mom, if I remember correctly, it was like a total last minute arbitrary pick, like for both of them, which is why halfway through the movie, like Timothy Oliphant just kind of disappears.
1: Yeah, he, I, you know what I would love is um for Joshua Jackson's character to come back because he he was he was a big movie aficionado in Scream too.
0: And he needs justice because he got the fucking line right.
1: Yeah, he did. And his character never um never ended up getting like any any additional uh background. Um
0: yeah, so, he just kinda so- disappeared. Joshua Jackson's character is taking he's just like a guy in their film class, but it's like notable because he's Joshua frickin Jackson. So you're like, maybe he's going to be the killer. I mean, that's what Scream does. It pepper's in these celebrity cameos like the Fawns, like who was probably the biggest name mm-hmm. in that movie at the time. Like he absolutely actually 100 percent was the biggest name in the movie at that time was the Fawns being in it. Like it was a cast of unknown people, maybe maybe Nev from Party of Five, but the rest of them had never been. feel like had never been in a movie before. Well,
1: Matthew Lillard was in Hackers the year before. Okay, where he had the braided pigtails. Yeah, yeah.
0: Looking um, like a, uh, Snoop Dogg, <laughs> not Snoop Dogg. Uh, El Cool J. Not LL Cool J. Who am I thinking of with the with the hair? Looks like Coolio.
1: Yeah, he kind of looks like White Coolio in that movie. Um, mm-hmm. no, but like the the braids in that movie, uh, worth the price of admission. Um, God,
0: he can be a is what I realized. He yeah, cuddle? I could see that. Because well, like, t- like you're the- thinking
1: of the yeah. teeth, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's the Jake Busey energy that he has. Where I am thinking of that Pretty Prince Junior movie where they're in space and they're pew pew pewing. Is it like the Last Starfighter or something? Like it's very much like uh, Jake Busey's character in uh, the Bug movie.
1: Um. Yeah. No, I know what you're talking about. It's. Um, is it Wing Commander?
0: Wing Commander had the same character from Matthew Willard as as Jake Busey was in Starship Troopers. Yes, correct.
1: Okay. Wing Commander. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yes. No, it is Wing Commander. Okay. I just, I wasn't sure. Um, I haven't seen that in years, but... Um, yeah. so speaking
0: of, speaking of Twin Peaks, and I, I hope I can tell this story a little bit out of school because I have no extraneous details about it, but I did hear to uh, not ask Matthew Willard any stories about Twin Peaks because you might be disappointed in the answer. Which is sad, but like also very funny.
1: Well, like I, I mean, his appearance is you know kind of limited in the return. Like he has very memorable scenes, but you know was he in what two or three episodes?
0: Yeah, I guess I, I guess when uh, the this, the person who told me this, I think was saying is more of like a how big of a fan he was of this franchise. Because I assume because of my interaction with uh, Matthew Lillard, no big deal, where he like recognized my rapier head tattoo a couple of years ago. That he must have been like the biggest scream. Uh, the sorry, the biggest uh, David Lynch fan, but like maybe not. I don't
1: why know. do you say? Why do you say that?
0: Because uh one of my friends who uh, was involved with the, this movie said that they asked him about it at the premiere, and he like didn't have he didn't have a really good story behind it. Like he didn't he didn't seem that invested. Maybe I, I hmm. actually don't know. All he said was you might be disappointed.
1: Okay, well. I, I mean, I feel like most people who worked on Twin Peaks, The Return, did it because, you know, it was a chance to work with David Lynch. I mean, it well,
0: got to be. And if you yeah. recognize the Racerhead quote, and you are cool, I'm sorry. Like, you can't tell me that you don't know about, Twin, like, David Lynch's work. Like, mm-hmm. maybe he was like, a little bit shy about it or something.
1: By the way, I always forget every year that two of my favorite directors have birthdays within, like, a few days. David Lynch and Jim Jarmusch both had birthdays this week.
0: Oh, yeah. Happy birthday yeah. to both of them. Poor yeah. David Lynch's birthday was marred by the fact that he had been trending a day earlier because some girl said that she didn't like David Lynch and people fucking dogpiled her. Because she was like, I can't believe I've wasted a year, like all this time thinking like David Lynch was cool. You all tell me he was a great director. Like I didn't like his movies that much. And people, you would have thought, like the internet went nuts. You would have thought mm. that like he was talking about fucking Star Wars. Um, I was like, at my first thought it was like, okay, guys, way to prove that like this director who's really taken a nuanced critique of like, violence against women his entire career and had like very great portrayals of females. Uh, I have even a book called women on Lynch or Mm. Lynch's women or something like that about like how he approaches the female experience. I think he's one of the more nuanced male directors we have, uh, or had like, you know, in that time period of the eighties and nineties up until now, like, you know, he really focuses on the female experience and female trauma, like not unlike Ari Aster to like take, Someone saying they don't like his films, who's a woman, and then like just what, like threatening violence against her seems so comically to like miss the point of David Lynch movies as to be like, I watch him for the Dennis Hopper character,
2: hmm. you know? Yeah.
0: And also like, I guess my argument with this, sorry to get off topic for a second, is uh, yeah, uh, you're not supposed to like David Lynch movies. <laughs> like Most people are not supposed to like David Lynch movies. That's what makes some David Lynch movies. If they were something that everyone loved, they'd be Star Wars. He would have just done Star Wars like they asked him to. If everyone loved David Lynch, he'd be Ron Howard. Like we don't want, I feel like we as as in terms of David Lynch fans don't necessarily want everyone to like have a reaction that's like a, absurdly positive or even just like warm. Like we don't want anyone to be lukewarm on David Lynch. I feel like you're either all in or you're not and he's kind of alienating. And if he's not like, that is something that we are should be okay with because yeah, we understand that we are like the weird few who like can, who, who connect with his work. I feel like it's not supposed to be for everybody.
1: It's not. And uh, at the same time, the thing I love about the way I, I see all different kinds of people respond to David Lynch's work is there is a certain contingent of, uh, of the population who will just not respond or will actively avoid his stuff. But what I love is people who may not get as much out of it as those of us who obsess over his movies, but immediately recognize his level of talent and, you know, can point to a couple like two or three of his films, maybe the more accessible ones, like, you know, elephant man, blue velvet, what have you. And, and really point to those as, you know, good examples of, of just what, what he brings to the table, but I've also, I've also seen people like really engage with things like Wild at Heart and Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me, uh, which, you'd which you'd think would be more alienating, but I think because those are such big swings, you know, uh, I think that kind of knocks people over the head and gets their attention and Lost
0: Highway inland. I feel like I feel like what I learned early on, or I try to claim that, because I taught a class on David Lynch, no big deal in college, was mm-hmm. that I would show people his shorts and I was like, you have to understand that he was the a,
1: grandmother,
0: the grandmother, of the alphabet, the uh-huh. like A B C you know, like so like <laughs> the idea that his movies are installation art. He mm-hmm. was an artist first, he was a fine artist first got into film as a medium for art like as an like almost like it's an installment in a museum and you have he's to a perfect. he's yeah, a painter
1: right. a filmmaker and a musician and he's a
0: mixed, ma- yeah he's a mixed media artist like he specifically mm-hmm. works with a lot of different kinds of forms so he'll use plastics he'll use dioramas he'll use uh painting oil canvas like he uses he does cartoons like he uses any sort of format he can find. Like you said, he does music. He does spoken word. He does techno music. Like he does all different kinds of things. And, uh, it's funny. I get my voice back to talk about David Lynch. Isn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing that you have to understand about a lot of his movies, especially starting with like a racer head, uh, starting with a racer head, and especially when talking about a racer or inland empire or lost highway, or I feel like less so uh, firewalk with me, although maybe on the surface,
2: Mm-hmm.
0: these are installations they're almost not meant to be viewed almost as a, as a sit down in a movie theater enjoy a bag of popcorn and then like talk about it with your friends over a malt they, they're supposed to be absorbed in the way that you walk into an installation exhibit in a museum and just let it wash over you and your feelings about it should be sort of I personally think I, your feelings about it should be sort of like marinated for a while before you go start like discussing it and having other people's opinions like weigh in on your own. I think it's something that needs to be experienced rather than seen because mm-hmm. I will admit that a head if you're just watching it and I, I, I'm saying this like as someone who watched it pretty recently, it's really it can be really fucking boring and it can be really oh, like overbearing. There are parts of it that just go on and on and that's the point is to sensory overload you with this droning mechanical noise and to give you the sense of how burdened and sort of like mechanical and dead like this world is you know it was supposed to be a reflection of his fears and i swear to god we'll get back to screen in a second but i you know it really bothered me that like some people are like "How oh dear like as if it was the last jedi or something people like have that toxic fandom to lynch like no there should be no toxic fans of lynch if you're a toxic fan then you're not really a david lynch fan i guess that's that's how i'll bring it back around like if there's no jack quaid of the david lynch world although i guess there is
1: uh, at least she tried to be. Um, mm-hmm. Well, also bringing it back around, um, you know, in the spirit of Lynch's work, one thing I think we've also earned in the franchise at this point is an elaborate, really cool dream sequence uh, featuring Ghostface. Yeah.
0: Yes! I was say, like like a David Lynch... Like, if by the next movie we see actually a clip of Stab, because that's the thing. Besides that little bit in Stab Four, we haven't really seen it in... in uh, Sorry, screen Four and then screen Two in the opening, we haven't gotten to see like uh, what these movies actually look like. If Stab Nine is directed by Lynch and it's all just surreal, like almost like the Ring, like the movie within the movie is just all this surrealist mm-hmm. imagery and there's no like cohesive plot and it's just like ideas, like it's like a Maya Darren film. That'd be perfect.
1: Like Ghostface chasing people on a giant like unicycle.
0: It's not even, it's like somebody picking up a ghost face mask and then like, you know, like the mask turning into dust and then that dust turning into a flower, but the flower being held by an unusually long arm. And it's just disquieting instead of like upsetting, like ghost face turns around, but his mask is a mirror. Like it's just, it is just Maya and Darren's meshes of the afternoon, but it's called stab 10.
1: I, I also, would I would love that. I would love the Cronenberg version where, um.
0: Yeah, horror that-, that shit.
1: Where the killer has grafted the voice box into his own throat, and uh,
0: yeah, that's yeah. A, that was an interesting thing. Did they do that much with the with the tech in this one? I'm trying to remember. They they did no. the cell phones, but they didn't really do much with the tech, which you'd, I like.
1: You'd think the whole like voice imitator technology from Scream Three would come back into play because that's a pretty big oh, game yeah. changer.
0: Yeah. yeah, that was a good thing that they could mimic anybody's voice.
1: Yeah. And you, you know, that's more believable now than it was then.
0: Yeah, it's, it's always kind of, and you just have to suspend your disbelief because there's no getting around it. That when someone's talking to you, even if they have a voice box on, unless they are literally a cancer, like, person who does not have a actual voice and has to use one of those voice boxes, you're going to be hearing an echo and you'll be able to hear the person's actual voice like, if you're sitting right in front of them and they're talking mm-hmm. to you the vocoder, you'd be like, that's a girl's voice. And it, I'm hearing an echo of it through, as it talks to the voice, vo- vocoder or whatever. But yeah, I thought that tech was going to be, because tech is sort of like on the, not on the forefront, but it is a part of the Scream movies. It was an interesting thing in Scream 1 that she was like trying to type to the police on her like net 101, you know, internet 101. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so And in, in every subsequent movies, they played with, Cell phones and uh, like the the internet and and the, you know so they've sort of gone along with the times. This movie, while it did have a cool thing about cloning the phones, and although I'll, at the end of the day, I don't think those phones were cloned. Like that was the whole point, right? That was actually just her friend's phone, yeah. and like the friend was the killer.
1: But they so. were they were talking. They brought the. I, I feel like saying it was a cloned phone again was a fun way to bring it back to the original movie too because they, they they mentioned phone cloning so much in the first film.
0: Right. So what's really funny is that opening sequence where her friend is like starts typing and she's like, oh my god, I'm not she's like, I'm not so-and-so. Mm-hmm. It's the lie. It's still so-and-so. They didn't go through some elaborate phone cloning thing. It was just literally like it was her friend who was just doing it through the phone. Yeah. Um, and I guess that would have had to also be her... This is what I figured out as well. It would have had to be her friend who stabbed her and who stabbed the girl in the opening because Jack was up... He was up in, like, what, Bakersfield or wherever they were saying. Yeah. He was already there. So he's... Uh, he. Most of this killing was done by her best friend. Right. That's what I realized. It, it had to be.
1: Yeah. So there... You know, I, I'd be interested to see some some of the background here, but, like... I was able to take some of the logical leaps of this film because I feel like thematically it mostly worked pretty well. And, I think
0: it worked great. I mean, it's not as many as other screen movies work. Like in the first movie, let's be clear, yeah. Stu, Stu must have done like zero killings. I think, except for Tatum, I think they were all Billy. Like it had to have worked out that way.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I think it measures up in terms of that uh, uh, just fine. I, I really enjoyed the movie. I just. Um, Again, like if we continue this franchise, um, there were some things that really surprised me about this. And then there were some things I wish I hadn't predicted. So I just that's what I'm striving for, you know, as the franchise goes on. Like if you're going to do another one of these, um, you know, I have no complaint about this movie being part of the franchise. I think it more than earns its place. It's solid. I just I want to get I want to really get caught off guard the next time around.
0: Yeah, I don't want can I be honest, like the idea of it being teen killers, like is not scary. And it never can I be honest, like it never really was. The idea that these right. are just like some kids that you can like literally like push because they're clumsy and they'll go woof and like they're gonna try to stab you when you could have a gun and like yeah, their whole thing is that they're in a movie, so like they can disappear really quick and whatever. They're not inherently, besides like the torture thing that they do in the beginning, uh, and because the voice is the same, it's not inherently it, it seems like more scary than it actually is when you stop and think about it. Those if- cold opens are always terrifying because, like mm-hmm. the, of the the victims, is always really scary because they're always caught off guard. Yeah. By the time Sydney gets involved, she's like, "Who?" She's like, "I don't fucking care." Like she, they always act like she's re meeting this old adversary, like like it's Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers. But in Sydney's mind, and in our audience's mind, we know this is not the same person. So she's just fighting some new kid every single movie. She's just fighting some new shithead who's decided to wear that mask and do that voice. Mm-hmm. What I'd like to see is like an M.O. that's different because they almost, like, they almost treat it up until the end of every screen movie as if it is the same guy. That's why Scream movie yeah. actually has a cool thing with like the gas because I was like, that's clearly not the dude we've been dealing with. Like they always kind of act like it's this almost like the same ghost who's just like haunting them and haunting Sydney. Um, and at the end, it's revealed, oh, no, it's just like a very Scooby-Doo thing. At the end, it's like, oh, no, this one is blah, blah, even though he acted exactly like uh, and he spoke exactly like and he used the same exact verbiage and he he murdered in the same exact way. Uh, but no, it was this, it was a 16-year-old girl. Don't worry about it. It was like Sydney's cousin. Don't worry about it. Like, that doesn't make any sense. The two killers themselves would have different MOs and, like, seem different when they were fighting.
1: Honestly, I don't understand how at this point, like... Gail and Sydney don't sit down like, you know what, what if we just hire a professional assassin to go to Woodsboro and like, suss out? It? like there's no chance. Like these clown ass killers would stand a-, a chance against a real assassin. So like, would have send- yeah, no, S- send someone in there to clean, clean up the job, but that's not the point of scream. I'm just saying like, those are things they could play with in the future and then if there's a way for these killers to like take out a character like that, that could be interesting. I want well, I them to play more with the formula next time. I really do
0: I think that's exactly right because I think the thing is only two of the, the only three of them have taken place in Woodsboro. Mm-hmm. Three of the five. because um, two was in college. that was somewhere else. That's why the books are titled something else. It's like it's not murder in Woodsboro or murder right. in Woodsboro. It's called what? It's called like something on the college campus. It just followed Sydney. Mm-hmm. You know, people would just be like if there were murders like that, it would just kind of be like unless the same girl was involved, you would just assume like it. they're almost like copycat or possibly even unrelated killings, which is people using the same mask, you know, yeah. like what would be the motivation? The, the fact is the motivation always been around Sydney. What I liked about this movie was it moved the motivation off of Sydney. Sydney showed up and Sydney was like, I'm getting myself involved, but they don't even do that line that they have in the trailer where they're like, Sydney, it's such an honor to meet you. Uh, It is a mashup of a line that they have about Dewey, where it's like, it's an honor. It's been an honor or whatever, which is like, yeah, that that guy's like, yeah, they're going to pay their respects because that guy was involved with the original. And these are super fans of the original. So getting to meet Dewey, getting to fight with Dewey is like getting to, like for us, would be like getting to fight Matthew Willard. Like it would just Mm -hmm. be awesome. be Like, holy shit, like we're, oh, it's really you. And they want their autograph as much as they want to kill them and I don't actually think they want to kill them I think that they're really focused on doing these taking out the murders or taking out the people related to the original murder because mm-hmm. these are fans and that that does end and they maybe could have hit this beat harder or like played with it a little bit more but their motivations are entirely different than anyone else's has been throughout the franchises they are like they like Sydney I get the feeling they like Gail they're, they're hoping Gail will write another book about this
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, like these are people who just want the fame and the infamy and aren't doing it because they're related and they're angry at Sydney or the Sydney's mom was a slut. They're doing it because they are super fans of the franchise and like want to insert themselves into it. And I think that's like a really cool angle because it makes Sydney unnecessary. She didn't have to come to town. They were going to do this anyway. They needed to get Billy Lomas's daughter involved, but they didn't need Sydney. They didn't want to. They didn't ask for her to show up, you know? I don't think they would have looked. looked, I don't think they would have gone after Dewey. I think they had a specific agenda to not go after the quote unquote adults because these are teenagers, but Mm -hmm. to go after people like their own age.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, they were probably, you know, hedging their bets uh, with, you know, orchestrating things and and hoping they might get uh, everyone to turn out, but it wasn't a guarantee. Uh, So they were mostly focused on what they had to work with in Woodsboro and for. Sydney and Gail to end up in the plot. You know, I think it ultimately works. It doesn't feel terribly contrived. I actually, you the most contrived, uh, reunion of all the sequels is scream two for me. Um, I, I don't believe that all those characters would be thrust back together that quickly. Um, I don't think Dewey needed to like go out of his way to be on that college campus. Um, uh, Scream 2 to be honest not every day of the week but like you know like I, I, I didn't put out any ranking of the Screams recently but Scream 2 is actually lower in the franchise for me I still like it but it used to be like my favorite of the sequels when I was younger and as I've gotten older it feels like the most rushed out of all of them
0: uh, yeah it obviously is or absolutely is and then not only that but like I think like I was saying it feels cynical it feels almost like like I don't know, because again, I can't know how much I can ascribe to this to Wes Craven when Kevin Williamson wrote the script, but it feels very much like, well, like the Matrix Resurrections, like, well, you're not gonna fucking take this thing away from me. But like I have nothing to say about like about continuing the story. All I have is a meta commentary about how much I don't want to be doing this. <laughs> like I feel like that's what I get. Not quite the level of resurrection, but kind of. I mean, this is the one where Sydney starts to get over it, you know, and by the end I think. Dewey is, like, a great reflection of that. Dewey, who has been our heart, who's been, like, our, our bumbling deputy, who's he's sort of, like, been the fanboy throughout the entire franchise, is so fucking done when we meet him mm-hmm. in this one, He's over... He's become the grizzled alcoholic... Like, it's it's become the character you could never imagine Dewey being, which is, like, the grizzled alcoholic ex-cop who lives in a trailer and whose life has been totally ruined and who will never leave this town. Like he's been disgraced, like, and he, by the time they show up at his doorstep, he's kind of like, I really don't want to fucking take part in this. Like, he's like, I don't really want anything to do with this, which kind of feels like where maybe Wes was starting with 2.
1: Yeah, because I, uh, when when his character in this, it reminded me of um, Laurie Strode in the new Halloween movies a little bit. Um, it reminded me of uh, um uh Chief Hopper, David Harper, and Stranger Things. Um, And I just I felt like this was a return to form for David Arquette. Um, I think this is a really solid performance from him, and I would like to see him kind of get back into genre stuff, because one of my favorite uh, little appearances from him back in the Scream era was uh, in Ravenous.
2: Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I don't know how recently you've seen Ravenous, but yeah. I don't think
0: I've ever seen Ravenous.
1: Oh, I love Ravenous. Oh man, that is a, that movie's nuts. Uh, Guy Pierce, Robert Carlyle, um, a lot of, a lot of big character actors in there as well, like Jeffrey Jones and, uh, um, uh, a lot of others. Um, uh, but, um, David Arquette, uh, David Arquette, Jeremy Davies have supporting roles in that too, um. And uh, that's just a wild movie worth checking out. Uh yeah. another Wendigo. Uh, d- not like Isn't a literal really a Wendigo
2: movie, I guess. I not not that.
1: a literal Wendigo movie, but um, deals with the Wendigo mythology. And it, um, yeah, um, ravenous rocks.
0: Uh, I really like the one that this again getting off topic, but uh, Cannibal the Musical, A plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, made my favorite thing that Trey Parker, Matt Stone have ever done. Um, but also the one that's called. That's not why we summon or it's it's not called we live in the shadows it's not we summon the darkness it's like one about a, a father and his two daughters and they sort of uh, their mom has died recently and it, it is a cannibal story and it's really good like almost has an a24 aesthetic and it has a kind of
1: hmm.
0: weird name what is it um cannibal dad
1: cannibal dad
0: kids I'm gonna find it it's called uh cannibal dad kids oh no these are all real news stories nope Camel Dad Kid movie. It's called We Are What We Are.
1: Oh, We Are What We Are. I've heard of that. I just haven't great seen it.
0: Film. Great film. And somebody We're seeing. Okay. Yeah, that one's really gr- uh, really great, and it has somebody... Uh, I think it might have Wyatt Russell in it. It might have Wyatt Russell. Okay. Um, and I just, yeah, I really like that movie. And I just realized the guy from is from American Psycho, Bill Sage. Um. I'm trying to double check now. It has Julie Garner in it. Yep. And Wyatt Russell and Michael Parks. So, you know. Wow. And Amber uh, Childress. So, guys, go check that out. Um, Any final follow up thoughts on Scream? I mean, I'd love to talk for like another hour and a half about like the movies that Scream has begot or like the things that Scream has begot. Because I think one thing this movie did very well and sort of very did smartly or did very smartly was Sir Take Aim. Beyond the horror movie thing, mm-hmm. uh, they did, we haven't talked yet about their their couple of notes that they hit about elevated horror, which I thought were just yeah. so so funny and like so clever. And like I wanted to do, like a take a shot every time they mentioned elevated horror, but like in a in like a very self aware way. Like I think this movie is elevated horror.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't
0: think Wes Craven would have loved the term, or I've I've heard that Wes Craven would have hated that term. Um, and I understand why, but the idea that the main the the daughter of the, the or the sister of the main chick is like when they call her up and ask what's your favorite scary movie, and she goes the Babadook, and she's like it's a treatise on on the horrors of motherhood, and like whatever. Oh no like, is just brought up short because like what the fuck is he gonna say to that? Like he doesn't have any fun quizy questions about like pop quiz, who's the uh, director of the Babadook or something? Like he's yeah. Like, nothing these are this is it's hilarious like the work of jordan peele like it speaks to very much where Hart is right now but it also speaks to like this this shift in sensibilities in in what younger people are into now and this sort of respect i want to say like it really does kind of honor the idea that kids aren't dumb that we like to think of yeah. younger people as like stupid or they'll bind anything or gen z whatever but like They're leagues ahead in terms of critical analysis of movies than like I ever was at my that age. Like, again, for like a 13 year old character, 14 year old, 15 year old character in this movie to be talking about, like the, the, the feminist critique of the Babadook. And meanwhile, them at my age is me going, my favorite lines in the movie are at the end when you find out Billy and Stu are the killers. They also killed Sydney's mom. They are going to be killed by Sim and frame her for murder. And then Billy's uh, and then Billy stabs too hard, and in a drunken voice Stu says, "Stop, man, I'm feeling woozy here, okay?" Like that is, as far as my analysis went, was just telling you what the scene was. Right. These kids today, like they their ability to uh, synthesize information and sort of, you know, critically analyze situations in films and art, I think is like pretty impressive. and I like that this movie pay deference to that, not just in how they understand horror movies, but in how they understand all movies and and, and, and sort of culture as a whole. Um, because I think it's, it speaks to the toxic fandom stuff. Like even the bad guys in this movie are like, how can fandom to be toxic? They met on message boards. These are people that critically analyze their relationship to the film and don't just take it as like, you know, this given that the film is one thing. And I really like that. And the, mm-hmm. the, I really like that message that a lot of times that these movies transcend the piece of art that they were intended to be and become about the community of fans that are built up around it so that it's very hard to like or dislike certain movies based on their actual worth because we're so busy kind of being turned off by the fandom of it. Like it's really hard to ju- for me to watch Justice League, the four hour cut, the Snyder cut, because I'm just like, I just can't stand the Snyder fan, the Snyderverse fans. Like, you know, it's really hard for me to set it becomes hard to separate the fandom or like people who who, mm-hmm. who feel so like strong about Star Wars. It's really hard for me to be like trying to take the the Last Jedi at face value because it's so much about the conversation and about the co-option by fans, which I think started in a good place of being like, we own this movie. It started in like a place of uh, uh what do they call it? Agency of being like, mm-hmm. you know, even if Woody Allen made this movie, it doesn't mean that he's just the sole person behind it. There were other people who started. Like, you can like things even if they were produced by the Weinsteins. You can love movies even if they were produced by Polanski or whatever. Yeah. So, that way of reappropriating fandom. But I think that's gone so far in the other extreme where now it's like hard to like certain things. And I think people who have created these movements sometimes feel like awful about what they've spawned. Because this was not their intention, you know, almost like out like Lana Wachowski and the Red Pill stuff, like mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, like that must just keep her up at night, you know? That like she spawned a whole toxic, like men's rights theory, you right?
1: Know? Well, it's I mean that that happens so often. These these things that the creators would never want to see repurposed. That's why I'm I'm I was encouraged to see like The Punisher come full circle, and they've. They've even come up with like a new uh, look for the Punisher because mm-hmm. that logo is, you know, reappropriated by uh, uh, some unsavory folks, um, mm-hmm. to say the least. And, um, you know, I think that's important because they're occasionally through no fault of the art itself. It gets reappropriated and very cheapened, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, by idiots. So it has to be reclaimed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so uh any final thoughts? We talked a little bit about what we'd like to see. I think uh I think we can be pretty clear or like pretty confident that there will probably be another screen movie just on the basis yeah. of how fucking gangbusters this movie went. And by the way, congratulations to the to the to radio silence guys and Absolutely. To the writers because they have created something. This movie during the the, the premiere got cancelled. Omicron being the huge thing, this movie was supposed to get buried. Like there was a real fear that this movie was just gonna be a big flop, like not a flop, but like almost like Ma- Matrix Resurrection. Had an uphill battle comment. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, not a flop in terms of like th- how good it was, but a flop in terms of the box office turnout. And this movie, The Spider Man, ba- on the basis of a franchise IP that is not very relevant right now and was like popular in 1996. This got people out of the house for better or for worse, but it got people in their fucking seats, seeing this movie and mm-hmm. caused such hype around it that it, it, it has done the thing of like introducing a whole new generation and getting them super, super amped about this franchise. And I think that's the, the most you can ask to do uh, for this film besides the fact that you do it in a self, self-critical and self-aware way that acknowledges the toxicness of some of these fan communities. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think this movie could be a bigger success in terms of what they were trying to achieve.
1: I think it's great um, uh, that, you know, it it landed the way it did. And I don't think the movie needs to be, you know, reach the height of its blockbuster success when the first couple films came out to stay successful and relevant. Um, has,
0: has it not already? Like, I felt like it already must have broken some of their records. If you
1: compare the box office releases of the films, they do kind of have diminishing returns. But it... it even if, even by that comparison, it's still—you uh, compare it to any other movies that have come out recently, and with the exception of Spider-Man, it's—it's it's, you know—it's done exceptionally well. Um,
0: so, Scream. Uh, let's see the opening. I'm trying, just trying to think. and Of course, I can't do for—I uh, can't do in terms of uh, adjusting for inflation. But let's see. Um, opening weekend of the original Scream versus opening weekend of this new Scream. Let's see what we got here because this movie did made a, a an f ton of money. Like an F-ton. Um, I think that it, what, it, it came up to, let me just double check. It
1: did, over four days, it did like 50 million.
0: Yeah, and so the total box office for the original Scream was uh, 176. You have 173 million, right? Um, mm-hmm. This movie, on its opening weekends, without even going global, like made, what, 50, what did you say it was? It was, uh, let's see, the A box little office. over
1: 50, I think.
0: Yeah, we're at sixty million. Uh, not even done with weekend two, um, and that's like that's without it going uh, international yet. I don't think.
1: What I think really bodes well for this and Halloween Kills, even though Halloween Kills is super goofy, um, it it shows the staying power of horror uh, as one of the genres that continues to succeed in theaters. So like, there's there's all this. Focus on Spider-Man: No Way Home this year because of what a juggernaut it was, um, and that's understandable. But superhero and action franchises are not the only thing people will will come into theaters to see. Musicals struggled this year. I get that. It's interesting to see how Tick, Tick, Boom, you know, was seen by more people,
2: uh,
1: and In the Heights was seen by a lot of people at home. But then West Side Story struggled. Then you then you see horror movies continue to do well and Halloween Kills had a date and day release and did incredibly well. Scream mm-hmm. was theater theatrical only, but it did really well.
0: Yeah, I think and- I think the
1: black phone is probably gonna do decently. because uh, it's oh, God, a lot that of-
0: movie is so scary. I've had nightmares about this movie already.
1: I'm so I've excited. Really I'm so excited for February and March, Drew, because that's gonna be like Ethan Hunt villain mode because we have the black phone and Moon Knight back to back. he plays mm-hmm. a cult leader in Moon Knight. So I'm like, yeah.
0: Oh I'm my so god! Excited. I didn't realize *Moon Knight* was uh, Justin P. Uh, so Justin H. Benson and Aaron Moorhead, two of my favorite directors right now. Oh, *The didn't Endless* and *Synchronic*. Yeah, yeah. The, I didn't realize that a it was a TV show, and b that they were the like basically the directors of most of the episodes. Uh, I actually started talking to Aaron or Aaron or Justin. Uh, I started DMing with them because I've talked to them a little bit before when yeah. I was with *The Endless*. And they were like, "Yeah, it's a pretty big uh, year for us." And I was like, "Wait, what? What then? Is something? What else?" And they're like, "Oh no, we've been keeping it quiet, but apparently they have a movie that's out in Sundance uh, right now that's going to be yeah. opening up." And they said that they've directed a couple episodes of that Archive 81 show on Netflix, which Archive is one
1: 81. I, I'm keeping that on my radar, uh, and it's really confusing because people are also buzzing about Station 11. I'm like oh, these damn number shows. Well, it's funny is
0: they're both also being adapted from previous works that I'm pretty familiar with. Like Archive 81, I've like, it's a podcast that I really, Mm -hmm. really liked a couple years ago. I was listening to it constantly. So, and uh, Ashley Lyle, the showrunner of Yellow Jackets, told me that her friend actually is the creator of the the adaptation for um, Archive 81. And I only hear good things. To hear Aaron and Justin are involved with it is awesome. And so, like, I have to watch it.
1: I guess awesome. we're going to have to delve into that. That'll be a future episode.
0: That'll be a future episode. Um, so I just really quick, again, just trying to break down the numbers here, not to like be pedantic about it, but oh, like uh, on its initial release, and this was without a pandemic happening, although without being adjusted for inflation, 87 million on its initial run. Uh, we're already at 60 million, right? Or is we're already at uh, a, yeah, yeah, around
1: million. that at least. Yeah.
0: So we're already pretty close to, and this is still its initial run. This is only its second week when we're pretty close to hitting that initial Scream box office. Yeah. Cause it, the original Scream only took in 6 million on its opening weekend. Uh, that well, the,
1: the original Scream, it took a while to like build, I think too. Cause it like yeah. back yeah, yeah. Th- cause it stayed in theaters a while. And then it, it, it,
0: that it yeah. got
1: repeat viewings and stuff. So it was a slightly different animal. But yeah, no, I, I take your point. Like it's it's a it's a sustained successful franchise. Uh, the sixth iteration, uh, I just I, I think they should keep the same team, build off mm-hmm. of it, and just get even more playful. Um, yeah, and and don't get afraid to to really surprise us.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's awesome. I I just you know one point out during a pandemic to make. You know, if Scream, the first Scream made, sorry, I guess so panicking about this, but if the first Scream made on its opening weekend uh, $6 million uh, and its first weekend of this movie, it made, uh, let's see, first $13.3 million on its opening day. And this is, again, through a pandemic. And yes, it doesn't have the, the first one didn't have the legacy behind it, but it didn't have like the pandemic behind it. I mean, this is a huge sure. deal for it, it to is. make double that much but if you for inflation, maybe just like the same amount as the original scream movie mm-hmm. uh, during a pandemic is insane like that's an insane amount of money also the makeup of the audience right now I also think is really interesting it's mostly men uh, 53% of the audience was men but uh, the ages are 18 to 8, uh, 34 as you might uh, suspect but then mm-hmm. this was interesting the breakdown um, the ethnic breakdown of the audiences show only 46% were Caucasian and then it was like a mo- uh, like a majority Latino and African American audience, which I thought was like a very cool, different kind of thing. Because Scream has major like majoritarily, I think, been like a movie that is so self aware about its whiteness that like the the second movie, the one black character just like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting out of here. I can't, you know.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the new characters in this were all. By and large, quite likable characters. Uh, mm-hmm. is it Jasmine Savoy Brown from Yellow Jackets?
0: Yeah, and they were, uh, yeah, all, mostly kids the, of color. Yeah, yeah you know, she's so good, like she's awesome.
1: Uh, Melissa Barrera. Uh, mm-hmm. by the way, um, I forget the actress who plays young Juliet Lewis, uh, Natalie, on Yellow Jackets. But well, she was
0: in Book of Boba Fett. That's
1: I know, it. I know, I just love seeing the Yellow Jackets pop up lately and all this other stuff. I love I'm like, this is great.
0: What's Richie's next move? I need Richie, and I need like young Richie to be in something together.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As
0: we close it out, I know we, we've sort of gone over, but I finally got my breath back, which is great, if you couldn't tell. It would <laughs> be long-winded all of a sudden. Um, do we want to talk a little bit about Jello Jackets here at the end, or should we Should we save uh, it? I,
1: I would love to do a deep dive in the future uh, okay. to give it the full respect it deserves, but, um, yeah, bring on season two, please.
0: Dude, I cannot wait. Mm -hmm. i yellow jacket speaks to me it is my people it is my It's everything mine
1: it's it's heathers and lost like mixed together like i just
0: yeah Yeah.
1: i i really really dig what it's doing and and then and then you have that that slight twin peaks element to it
0: the mystery of
1: the woods uh just so great
0: i think it has some ari aster to it i think what it is is so much, it's kind of like in the way that girls did, but in a much less obnoxious way. I can only mm-hmm. speak from experience and only speak from my perspective. This show, Yellow Jackets, is for me. Like it is geared for me. It is about kids that grew up around the time I grew up. The music drop, the needle drops, are all for me. The jokes that they make as adults are all for me. Like everything did, about it just speaks to me. Drew,
1: what did you think about uh, the triumphant uh, uh, entrance to the re- reunion? To uh, the oh. offspring.
0: I mean, that was amazing. When they had some <laughs> portis head uh, like earlier on, I was like, hell yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I recognized early on that, like, me and this showrunner probably have a lot in common when I checked out her Twitter bio. And the picture, the header picture was Don Wiener from Welcome to the Dollhouse. And suddenly every domino. Oh, Heather
1: Matarazzo. Yeah. From- Heather Matarazzo's
0: yeah. character. I was like, that's what Misty is. We're, just, we're looking at a sociopathic Dawn Wiener. That's like mm-hmm. what the care. and after like I saw that, I was like, everything's clicking into place. <laughs> Guys, pay a lot of attention to what you're putting on your Twitter bio and your Twitter header because I recently got complimented by Aaron and Justin because they were like, we're obsessed with that gremlin sketch that you have like referenced in your bio. So like, <laughs> make sure that you're referencing the coolest shit that you know about so you can become friends with the people who make the coolest shit that's out there right now. That's all I'll say.
1: Drew, you're, you continue to procure uh, uh, quite the network here, and uh,
0: that's what I do. Let's just
1: get them all as guests.
0: Uh, Dude, I'm dying for it uh, I am, guys, I am going to be uh, Having an interview uh, on Monday For Fangoria Magazine I'm interviewing the two creators here, here. Uh, sorry, The two uh, writers of of The Scream movie, the most recent Scream So if you have any questions that you'd like Answered about this most recent movie Feel free to shoot me a, uh, like a Tweet or a DM or whatever And let me know what you would like to have answered About the film um, And I can do that for you, because that's going to be fun um adam where can people find you
1: uh here every other saturday um uh and am i doing anything else on a regular basis not that i'm aware of but at eisenthor uh right up there on twitter and letterbox that's mostly what i'm Mm -hmm. focused on right now um but i'll be back here in two weeks and maybe we can go a little deeper on yellow jackets then
0: yellow jackets and i think the the in, Cause I could do a whole thing on welcome to the dollhouse. So yellow jackets and like the things that made us, that make us like the yellow jackets. I'd, what, I'd be well, happy
1: to revisit that before the next episode.
0: I'm going to ask, I'm going to straight yeah. up, I will not get her, but I'm going to ask the showrunner of, of yellow jackets. If she wants to come on and talk about her, her nice and experiences uh, or formative pop culture. Cause I think that'd be fascinating.
1: Hey, I'm game. Just, yeah. just uh, keep doing your thing. You're
0: doing I will something keep right on doing that. yeah I'll keep on keeping on uh as for me yeah it's like her and Devin Sawa oh last thing Devon Sawa Christina Ricci they're both back in the pop culture let's get a cast reunion up in here mm-hmm. in my life um you can find me over at video drew across all social media whenever I have breath in my lungs I will be talking about stuff uh either here on my channel as you are on it right now please click like and subscribe and comment and rate and all those fun things you can also check me out on our podcast network, content candy. That's content. Like the stuff you consume with your eyes and candy. Like that stuff you consume with your mouth, content candy. It's nom nom for your ears. <laughs> yep. Just let that land for a second. Uh, we have shows like Garmin Shosia with me and Lon Harris. Uh, we have the video chronicles as well as salty popcorn reviews, which is uh, me and Eric's review show. We just did a uh, yellow jackets, uh, Season finale sum up with Vinny Mancuso, um, who is now the editor over at Backstage. We have a bunch of fun stuff coming up, including some game stuff. We got this cool gaming thing. We got we mm-hmm. got this new audio setup that allows people to call in and just go like go right through our auxiliary thing, whatever mic, whatever. It's gonna be awesome. So check that out. Please leave a review if you leave a review on uh, Content Candy through wherever you get your podcasts um, I will endorse you for whatever you want on LinkedIn. And I'm like a big deal on LinkedIn. I have like a lot of stuff going on on LinkedIn. So you want that from me. So please leave a comment, be super sweet, send me a screenshot and, uh, (laughs) send me your questions for the screenwriters. And I think that's all I have going on right now. Oh yeah. Patreon, patreon.com backslash video drew, please help a young, uh, struggling, not so young, struggling writer help it make me out in the world with the creator model of content whatever okay i think i'm done talking for the day uh adam it's great to see you as always we will see you again in two weeks and uh yeah bye guys
1: good night